Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is the second part of my conversation with Emily Spur. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Now, 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to the lands. This is stolen land, unceded land. Treaty was never made in Australia. Now, as we discovered last episode, Emily Spur is a debut novelist with an absolutely fantastic novel to offer. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back. There's some really important stuff in there about the characters of a million things. Emily's uh, original manuscript was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Award. And as she told us, it's gone through iterations to become a million things. Now, in the, the book... Ray is a pretty self-sufficient 10-year-old. She's got it together. She's packed a lunch. She's at school on time. The house is clean. Backyard's a bit of a mess. She's always got time to take her dog splinter for a walk. Now, as long as the money doesn't run out, there's no reason anyone needs to know that her mum's not around. Letty next door could be a problem, though. She's always sitting on her porch just watching the neighbourhood. If she notices Ray's on her own, there could be trouble. But Letty, as we discover, has problems of her own. In part two of the conversation, we're going to go a little bit deeper into these secrets. We're going to delve into what it means to keep a secret and why. Why we might need to for our own protection. Join me as we discover part two of Emily Spurs, A Million Things. I initially wanted to begin our conversation with this idea of secrets. um, Because for a, a very long part of my reading of the novel, I thought the thing that is tying this together is that there is an, an inexorable forward momentum towards an event that is is going to be a huge revelation. But I wondered how you feel about this idea of secrets and how you balance and and I know I know we've we've touched on this, but how you balance the idea of of holding back and revealing. Oh. That's a big question. Maybe in um, the in the novel, not in your life, you know. That's <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll send you I'll send you uh, some money later for this wonderful counseling session. Um uh, how did I balance that? Um I think, you know, the secrets are important. You know, Letty's got hers and, and Ray's got hers and, and uh, you know, there's a few other characters in the novel that, that have their own as well. Um I had, and we talked about this, and I'll try and talk about it without revealing too much. Um, I had a conversation. Um, so this book um, I wrote in 2018, 2019. Um, and prior to that, um, I'd written another book um, where I suppose I lost, um, I had a bit of a wobble, I suppose, and lost my confidence in what I was doing and people were like, you can't write a novel for adults, it's got a child protagonist, it has to be YA and, you know, you can't do this. And I'm like, no, I can do what I want. And then I'm like, oh, you know, no one's going to want to read that. I'm you know, okay. Um, so I wrote a YA novel, which was quite different. Um, but, you know, 
clearly an ancestor, like a dinosaur to a bird, right? There was definite correlations there. Um, and I, it was shortlisted for the Tex Prize, um, and I didn't win, which, you know, in hindsight is awesome. <laughs> and um, Mandy Brett, who is one of the senior editors at Tex, said, do you want to go and have a coffee and talk about your writing? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and one of the things she said to me during that conversation um, she asked me, you know, I feel like, you said to me, that I feel like there are lots of fingerprints on this book. Um, and I said, yeah, and I kind of explained the journey and, and how I changed it. And she said to me, well, what would it be if you just wrote what you wanted? So I told her, which I'm not going to tell you because it will give it away. Um, but, and she said, yeah, I, I'd, I'd read that. And one other thing that she said to me about the previous novel that is now buried in the bottom drawer, never to be revealed was um, why can't the reader know? Um, and that really stuck with me. Why can't they know? Um, what is? Why do you have to hold this back from them? And I suppose in that vein, the secrets in the novel are not secrets. They're all there. Mm. Um, and if you're... I don't know. I, I don't know. There, we talked about too. There's different readings of the book. Um, there seems to be two camps in terms of of, of um, how it's read. Mm. Oh God, this sounds very. <laughs> well, my my reading, um, my reading age, that I reflected, it? my re- reading that I reflected to you was that the secret was known, but it it couldn't be admitted. It was. I mean, our our journey is very similar to Ray's in that. I mean, I spent most of the novel turning pages and 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 there's some fairly innocuous stuff here like ray goes to school ray gets ready for school and goes to school a lot and that would seem like a very well, i mean she should she's 10 but th- that would seem it like is, a very right? innocuous situation except for this thing that we know or we think we know but we struggle to admit to ourselves and and i i don't think that's I don't think that's an exclusive human journey. I think everyone, for varying degrees, has gone through that. The thing that they don't want to acknowledge to themselves and getting to that point where it, it can be acknowledged or has to be acknowledged, and that is an absolute that's, – that's when the whole house of cards falls down and you learn whether you can, you can rebuild. Yeah, and, and that's it. And I, I think you're right. I think that's kind of a universal experience. I think everyone has had that to some degree at some point in their lives and if they haven't then you know hang on kids it's going to happen um <laughs> spoiler for your life there. um <laughs> um so th- there is something in that and i think i think you're right um it does mirror and i, I think I, I really did try and mirror that is the fact that ray knows what's happened to her mum mm. um she knows exactly where her mum is um but is completely unable to face it. And I suppose because it is so tightly told from Ray's perspective that that is mirrored, um, that that secret is mirrored. It's, it's a known unknown, if you like. Um, and I think, I think that that, as you said, is something that is so universal. That's why um, there are so many different readings of it because when people are reading the book, um, they don't want to know either because it's it's hard to know that. Mm. So very very um, general explanation there. Sorry if that's confusing. I'm trying not to. 
Oh, goodness. To all the readers, to all the readers out there who are listening back to this conversation after reading a million things, you did hear that right. We have just told you your your psychological archetype based on how you read a million things. I um, I wonder, because uh, as you've said, there there is quite a lot of um, difficult stuff going on in this book. There is some real darkness, but there is also so many beautiful moments. And I... I suspect this was something that either happened very accidentally in the book or you, you've you planted it so deliberately as to invite us to find it. I want, and, and maybe this is just me being tangential because any excuse to talk about books, but I want to talk about the love of books. And I want to start just because any excuse to talk about Terry Pratchett is is Ray reading, <laughs> Ray reading Tiffany Aching. I... I, st- I started rereading the Tiffany Aching novels this year when I had spare time, and I just I just love them. Like what an what an amazing series for Ray to be reading. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, we Free Men is her favorite book. Um, I yes, um, and books within books. I love that too. Um, that, mm. You know, um, and um she's a big reader and i think you know that that goes some way to her maturity and, and emotional depth as well mm. i think um i have a few people that got very excited about the Cher- terry pratchett <laughs> reference in the book um i've received very excited text messages from various friends that have, have read it and um thought that, that was pretty cool um I, i've already drawn a couple I, of i've already drawn a couple of long bows um as to where a million things might actually exist in the broader kind of imaginative narrative spectrum. Are you aware, or, or as, as it's just occurred to me, that I think there is potentially a reading of a million things that is actually Tiffany Aching's arc, and the ending The ending very much has me... I've got, I've got Shepherd's Crown feels with the way it all kind of plays out. Um. Sure. Sure. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, why it. not? Uh, yeah, <laughs> why not? Why not? Cut, cut Let's the, do it. Cut the random look, interpretations love, out, Andrew. Yeah, no, look, I love, I mean, and this is going to sound cliched and make me sound a bit like a wanker, so apologies in advance. Um, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I, one of the most delightful things, like this is my first book, um, hopefully the first of many, um, one of the most delightful things, of this book being published is speaking to people who've read it and hearing how many different interpretations there are. And I think, you know, and I think that's kind of what Ray gets with books too, is that, um, you know, again, apologies, cliche alert, um, you write a book and it's yours, you know, it was mine for such a long time. No one else had read it. I think one of my friends read this book before I sent it into the EPLAs and that's it. Um, and it was it was very much um, tucked away, you know, inside my chest um, for me alone. And then it got published and it's out there and I have no control over where it goes and what it does and how it touches people and how they react. And interpret it, and the the feedback that I've gotten back from people and the reactions that I've had from people about it have just um, blown me away because it's out there, it's doing its own thing, and it's 
being interpreted through the lens of other people's lives and that has nothing to do with me. Um, and people are connecting and relating it in a way that makes it theirs. That's not mine anymore. Mm. And I like I can't even express how awesome that is. Um, it, it is probably one of the best parts for me of writing a book is seeing that happen um, and having people contact me and you know say stuff about it and and realizing that that this thing that I did that was all mine now belongs to other people in the way that you know the books that I read and devour form part of who I am and and what I love that something I've done is now off there doing that on its own it's just been absolutely magical there's another beautiful okay, cliche done <laughs> there's another beautiful scene though that um has has I guess some of that chiaroscuro light and dark to it and I wonder if there was any uh, if not unconscious mirroring some of what you're talking about there plays out in this scene where Ray is reading to Letty and they're selecting books and the the undercurrent of the entire scene is the idea that books books are, are keepers of stories, but they're also stores of memory. They they carry with them not just the story, but the reader and the readings. And that's that's something really lovely and special and Anyone who has any sort of library that they have to occasionally say, oh, it's bursting off the bookshelves, knows the the struggle of saying, well, this is a book that maybe I can let go, but not that one. That one contains so much, so much more than just the story that I can buy again. Yeah, it's a book as an artefact almost, isn't it? You know, representing um, something um, of the experience you had when reading it or perhaps, you know, um, how it moved you or changed you in some small way. Um, you know, I, I moved house in the middle of writing this and, and I had to, I didn't have space for all the books. Mm. And um, deciding which would, would go was like, you know, um, it was a big decision and I had to go somewhere good, you know, and I couldn't, you know, I had to make sure they went to good homes <laughs> as well. Um so I think, yeah, there is something. I mean, I like to walk past my bookshelf and just stop and look at them and remember, like looking at holiday snaps or something, you know, oh, yeah, that one. I'll pull, pull it off the shelf and I'll, you know, run my hands over the cover and I'll be like, yeah, I remember that. That was good. I, <laughs> um, and, I, I know, use all sorts do of... Do you do that? <laughs> I, I do. And I also, I use all sorts of random things as bookmarks, like theatre tickets or, or old... well. Uh, Train tickets. I, I find train tickets back when we used to have train tickets, not Opal cards. I know. And, yeah. and something about those little pieces of ephemera that that take you back to the reading and the time and, and yeah, little parts of your life are in the in those books and those readings of the books. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, and receipts sometimes, which is always weird. Yeah. <laughs> All my buying back then. Mm. <laughs> Especially when I find a book that I obviously bought when I was at uni, so it's got like the uni co-op bookshop, and I was just like, "Wow, did I read that at uni? That wasn't part of the prescribed syllabus. That's that. that's I why I only passed on that back. subject." <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I oh, just completely on a tangent. I love um, sometimes I go and I'll, I'll pull the the price stickers off the back, you know, because you you want to see the whole cover, and it's really nice. 
Um, and sometimes they don't. And I find the ones that I haven't done it on, I go back and I, like, I have a little moment with the bookshop. So I'm like, oh, I brought it there. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because you, you have emotional connections with your favourite bookshops, don't you? I do. Um, and, and that's sort of part of it too, which is like something that's completely outside of the book but somehow connected to the journey. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this book. So I've got. I've finally I'm free. I've, I can pick up my book. I think the this cat's book gone. Is go- oh, no. Do you know what the other ones just walked in? What about you? Yeah. <laughs> Were you listening? I've got. To, I'm. What, what I, I I need to do a proper ending for this. Are you going to come and say hello? No, she'll okay. she'll come and say hello in a sec. She's gone. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? You wait gonna- till you're busy. I'm going to do a little bit of a radio ending before I um mm-hmm. you know do any final thoughts that probably don't belong in the interview proper. I am speaking with Emily Spur. We are discussing her incredible debut, A Million Things. This book contains so much. We might even tease that uh, some spoilers will go into the podcast episode for those who have already listened. But Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and to to look into so many of the readings of A Million Things. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for an awesome conversation. It's been fun. Oh, and there's your cat. And two cats in one conversation. Thank you so much, Emily. That is almost it for this conversation with Emily Spur. Now, as always, when I have conversations with fantastic Australian authors, there's so much that goes on setting up and debriefing after. And in this conversation, Emily and I got into some pretty major spoilers for the book, but it's also got some really interesting stuff that I couldn't not share. If you haven't read A Million Things yet, I might suggest you stop the podcast right now. But if you're game, let's go in to spoiler territory for A Million Things. I need to get this off my chest before we start the interview. You had me proper ugly crying for a good 20 minute after Splinter's accident, I'm literally, oh. I'm getting upset thinking about it. I, it was even more embarrassing because I was reading in bed. So I'm like trying not to sob out loud and wake my wife up. I honestly. Oh, I, I thank you. I don't, I know, I never know. Do I like, do I go, sorry, or you're welcome? I'm never quite sure how to respond. Um, that's, it's so awesome to hear, um, that, people connected with Splinter and the story and all of that. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had, I hope it didn't wake your wife up. It didn't. Um, it didn't. Uh, it was really weird. I actually, I'm, I kind of want to, I kind of want to talk about this even just for a couple of minutes, maybe just for my own personal therapy. And I, I, I kind of have it in my head that maybe, maybe what happens here can be included in, in like a, an after credits spoiler section of the podcast so I I had this horrible feeling throughout the entire book that whatever was going to happen and what eventually does happen, I was like, what's gonna happen with Splinter? Like I'm like, you know, I thought maybe maybe Ray is gonna be fostered, you know, what's gonna happen with Splinter? And then then that scene happened and I thought you she can't be she can't be killing Splinter. And I I actually had to race through those pages and as I did I realized you had me thinking like this was exactly as it was for Ray this was not a it was a cathartic moment for me but it it was like this was the the point of no return that came to a head and you really got me thinking about all of the relationships and how 
how I was also I was I was I was crying for Ray because what had been unspoken was now being verbalized and how how important verbalizing it was. I honestly went through a period where I was like I don't know until like until I found out what happens. I didn't think I'd be able to talk to you. I was like I don't know I don't know how I can begin a conversation with any sort of equilibrium here. <laughs> oh god. Um oh wow. I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. Um thank you. Um and and yes, that's exactly what I was wanting to do. So it is um so awesome to hear that it, that that was successful, and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't kill Winter. I already <laughs> killed a mum. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, at least a poor kid, something. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is definitely going in the after credit stuff now because like <laughs> I have I have assiduously worked through my notes and my questions to make sure that. We don't like we don't give away the 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 so called elephant in the room. It's so interesting about that too. So, um, really, on page three, it, it's it's pretty much stated that what's happened to her mum. But there is a significant percentage of readers of whom I count very very astute and 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 close readers, and I think it's psychological who um, don't read or don't want to see that and the whole novel is trying to, you know, put it together and piece out what's happened. Mm. And that wasn't the reading that I intended and it blows my mind and I love that, that, like, it's it's got this whole other story. It can be read two ways. Um, and it is, hello, Winnie. There is, there is um, someone else I am talking to here. Yes, I know. It's not good enough. Keep patting me. Um, and that I just, I love that um, something that I didn't intend, I, I, I kind of, you know, I had a really good, and this book came from, from somewhere, like I, it's the second version of a book that wasn't as good that I wrote. Um, and I threw that out and started again, and this is what grew out of it. Um, and from the first one was shortlisted for the text prize, and Mandy Brett, who's an editor at text, took me out for a coffee and said, do you want to talk about your writing? And one of the things that she said in that conversation was, why can't the reader know what's happened? Um, and in that story, her mother hadn't died, um, but, you know, why does it need to be a secret? And I thought about that a lot. And I really, I think there's really was something to it. So I didn't make it a secret. And it is there. It's on page three. But I reckon about 50% of readers don't read that in that, in fact, they read it differently. Mm. And um, I just, there's, it's, it's almost, you know, there are two possible readings of the book the first time you read it. And I love that. I wish I could take credit for it, but that's completely accidental. I, whilst whilst sitting here with my right arm completely immobilized by Winnie, so I can't I can't grab my copy of the book, which is just there, and reread page three. I mean, I I completely read it to you. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> w- w- oh, hang on. She's no, she's decided to let me. I mean, I I knew what had happened, but I just yeah. I spent the entire book saying this can't. And I think that's it. I think people don't. You don't want that to have happened because that's horrible, right? Um, where is it? And it, and it's not obvious. Like it's obvious to me because I wrote it, but it's not obvious. Where is it? 
Um, so it's the second paragraph from the bottom is my thing, like, oh, everyone's going to know what's happened. There was a breeze. It's funny how air's just there. You don't notice it. Looking at you, I could feel it touching my face, the pressure of it on my skin, the tickle as it lifted a hair off my cheek, as it shifted ever so slightly, making the rope creak. Mm. And that, to me, was like that was me being really obvious and telling people what had happened, and it's not, and people don't read it that way, and I love it. I mean, it's... <laughs> like, I'd, the presence of the the presence of the rope becomes so much more visceral later in the book, but I, I mean, again, you mention it, and I'm like, okay, I, I definitely read that, but it it really it took a long process for me, and which would mirror, I would imagine, anyone's anyone's circumstance in grief and loss where you are you are coming to terms, you're bargaining, you're, I mean, I, I don't know that we could do the whole, you know, the whole stages, but for me, I just thought, how, how can this kind of slightly, um, I mean, the cover, I look at the cover and I always forget the artist's name, but my wife, Kat, her, one of her favourite. Imogen Stubbs. Oh, is the artist. <laughs> is the, sorry, is the cover designer. There's another. Yeah, you look at the cover. There's another, um, there's another artist that, um, my wife loves who does does that kind of silhouette style and trees often feature as a central motif and I'm thinking this is this is this lovely there's maybe a sense of whimsy about the cover it's it's one of those books that certain people would say well is this YA because it's got a 10 year old protagonist and I'm like you can't do what you've done but I mean it's it's what's so incredibly Terrific. I mean, we haven't started the interview proper. We're still in the spoiler territory where we can't sort of say all this stuff. But <laughs> you've also invited, I guess, a really interesting conversation around mental health and around the ways that we deal with uh, suicide and mental health. But at, at least in these initial stages of the book's release, you, you've kind of also closed a bit of a door on talking about it without giving away much of the book. I, I, are you finding that's something that's coming up in discussions or interviews? Yeah, it really is. Um, and I had a um, one of the radio interviews that I did. Um, I was asked, you know, what was your, what was your elevator pitch? You know, what was your your dirty dark? You know, elevator pitch, that, which is why I went through the VPLAs because my elevator pitch was so horrendous. Um, like I gave it to one of the parents at school drop off, and they literally backed away from me. Um, and I just think who would want to read that? So I gave it to him and then of course he had to give the lifeline number out. And, um, and then I sort of, I didn't know whether I'd done the right thing because in my mind, you can pick that up if you want there, but so many people don't. And unintentionally, what, what the book now does, as you very astutely pointed out, is it takes you more in depth on Ray's journey of grief and denial. And that, um, that was just happenstance. Like that's luck. <laughs> that wasn't um, – I love that that happened, but that wasn't planned. Mm. I didn't sit down and, and work that out. Um, so it is hard to know how much to give away because now as soon as I found out that people have been reading it in one of two ways, um, I didn't want to destroy that second way because I think it's really beautiful mm. um, and I don't want to give it away. So there's this dance around it. I mean, my, my elevator pitch I think was something like um, – you know, 10-year-old Ray wakes to find her mum hanged in the shed. 
completely unable to deal with with the situation, um, she shuts the door and continues on as if nothing has happened. Um, and you know, who who wants to read that? I, I don't know. Um, and it sounded very dark, and it, it it's and it is very dark, and it is horrendous. Um, mm. But I think it's also a bit hopeful because people are incredibly resilient, and that was kind of my point. I think. I think you've set a goal for us just there because apart from something completely bizarre I'm going to say after this, I think revealing what you just said about the hope, that's our goal in this conversation without giving away the um, absolutely massive moment. Yeah. The other thing that, that just, and please don't hang up after I say this, but it occurred to me you have in some strange way You've written a counterpoint to Psycho. Oh, my God. I had never thought of it like that. And and in doing that, you have actually revealed some sort of fundamental difference between, I won't say men and women, but perhaps patriarchal and matriarchal culture. A man would hide his mum deliberately and and just become... And a completely loose unit, um, and a woman would say, "Well, great, but I have to get on with life. Like life doesn't end just because I want it to." Wow. Yep. I like that. That's it for this great conversation with Emily Spur. Emily's debut novel, A Million Things, is out now from Text Publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gundagara people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You just look for at Final Draft 2SER. If you are subscribed in your podcast app, and we are on all the podcast apps, you will get a new great conversation and bonus episodes every week. I am Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.